Amen. Well, thank you, Garrett. If you're joining us for the first time, Garrett's our youth pastor. My name's Adam. I am the discipleship pastor, and our lead pastor, Kyle, is down at our Columbus campus this morning. But welcome. It's good to see all of you. Welcome those of you joining us online. Welcome. I see college students that I haven't seen all summer, and you're back ready to, well, maybe not ready to go, but you're back, right? And um, yes, yes. (laughs) There may have been some sarcasm in that. I'm not sure. Um, But uh, yeah, it is good to see all of you. I see some new faces. Maybe you're here. Maybe you have a new student just starting at Pitt State. Um, If so, we have an amazing college ministry over at the homestead next door. Yes. I don't see Pastor Age in here, so I'm going to go ahead and say he is awesome. If he was in here, I would not say that um, because I don't want him to get a big head, but uh, we are glad that you're here. I... uh, Sarah and I, my wife Sarah and I, we used to have some friends years ago who hated waiting at restaurants. And we would get to a restaurant sometimes, and if they said, like let's say the restaurant said, well, there's going to be a 20-minute wait, you know, they would, and then they would get in their car and drive 10 minutes across town. Now, follow me with the math here, okay? Drive 10 minutes across town for a restaurant that had a 10-minute wait, all right, you're doing the math with me, right? It's 20 minutes either way, and now you're just wasting gas. Okay, I've kind of made fun of those people, so now nobody's going to raise your hand, but come on, just raise your hand if you're one of those people who would rather drive 10 minutes across town. One, I see one, maybe two. All right, raise your hand if you think those people are crazy. No, don't do that, don't, don't do that, don't do that. No, none of us like to wait, Right? None of it. Waiting is annoying, but here's the thing. Sometimes waiting is a lot more serious than waiting at a restaurant, right? Sarah, she she has a minor seizure disorder. It's completely controlled by medication, but the very first time she had one came out of the blue, no warning, had no idea what was going on. They released her from the hospital on a Friday, I think, Thursday or Friday, and then we had to wait until Monday to sit down with the doctor and look at test results. Was this Did she have a tumor? Was it some disease or condition? What were the odds of her having another one? We didn't know answers to any of those questions. Now, I know a lot of you have had to wait a lot longer than a weekend to get results like that. But when you're going through it, a weekend feels like a lifetime, and it's excruciating. And I remember we we didn't want her, like, having a seizure and, like, falling out of bed and hurting herself, so we kind of made a pallet on the living room floor that weekend, and like through the night, you know how everybody kind of twitches in, the, in their sleep? Every time she would twitch, I was wide awake watching, is she going to have another one? Looking back now, it was kind of funny, but it wasn't funny at the time. Waiting is excruciating, isn't it? Nobody likes to wait. It's never fun, and that's what we're talking about today, seasons of waiting. We're in this series called seasons, learning to navigate them. Because the truth is, all of, we all go through all kinds, we're always in a different season, right? In fact, Solomon in the Old Testament, he says this, for everything, there's a season, there's a time for every activity under heaven. He goes on from there and he lists like a dozen or more seasons that we all go through at one time or another. So the question that we're, it's not if you go through seasons, the question we're asking in the series is, do we look for the value that a season brings Or do we look for the faults that a season brings? It's easy to find the value in the good seasons, right? In the new beginnings seasons. Kyle's going to talk about that next week. But what about in the seasons that aren't so great? 
What about in the seasons of trial that he talked about last week? What about in the seasons of waiting that we're talking about today? How do we find value in those seasons? Well, first of all, let's talk about what do we mean by that? What, what is, a, what is a, a, a waiting season? What does that mean? Well, sometimes a waiting season comes between the seasons of trial, which we talked about last week, and the seasons of new beginnings. Or maybe a waiting season for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's that period between an old relationship ending and a new one starting. Or seasons where you're waiting on a new job, or you're waiting for a spouse, or you're waiting for a pregnancy. Maybe you're waiting for your adult kids or grandkids to come back to Jesus. Maybe God has told you to do something, but he hasn't given you the how or the when or the where, and you're just waiting. I don't know, we could spend the whole morning coming up with examples, but let me just ask you to just take a second and think about that. What things are you waiting on right now in life? What's something that you personally are waiting on? Maybe those of you in college, you're just waiting to get, maybe you're near the end and you're waiting to get through college, move on to the next chapter. I guess we're all waiting for COVID to end, aren't we? We're all waiting for the election to be over. So if nothing else, all of us are waiting on that. But I'm guessing everybody in this room, everybody watching online, probably, probably have something in your personal life that has you waiting. And those seasons can be excruciating. Those seasons of waiting can also be dangerous. There's an old uh, book about, um, it's a discipleship book. It's called Reflecting God. And in this book, they talk about four D words that you have to watch out for in seasons of waiting. And the first one is disorientation. That's where you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know where you are. Maybe you might even say, I don't know who I am anymore. You're disoriented. An example of this would be Paul in the New Testament. There was a season where he knew God wanted him to go to take a a missionary journey to, to share the gospel, but he didn't know where. And so he would take off for one place and God would close the door. And he would take off for another place and God would close the door. He didn't know what to do or where to go. He was disoriented. And finally, on the third time, God said, here's where I want you to go. But he had this season where he was disoriented. Another one is disengagement. Disengagement, that's where you pull away or you withdraw from people you love. Maybe you withdraw from church or you pull away, you withdraw maybe from an activity that you enjoy doing. It's where you withdraw from often the people and the things that you need the most during that season. There's a story in the Old Testament where King David, uh, his army is off uh, to war and so he's kind of in this waiting season and he withdraws to the roof of his palace. And if you know the story, it was there that he saw a woman named Bathsheba and that eventually started one of the most infamous affairs in, the hist- in recorded human history. Because he disengaged in this season of waiting. He withdrew. Disenchantment is the third one. Um, this is where you, you just become disenchanted. You ask questions like, how could God let this happen? Why did God do this? Or maybe you say things like, I'm never looking for another relationship again. Or I'm never trusting anybody again. You become disenchanted. Job is an example of that from the Bible. Job lost all of his wealth. He lost his family. He lost his health at one point. And, and there, are, 
uh, there are times in this conversation with God where he's disenchanted. And then finally, we get to the fourth D, and that's despair. When you think of this word, think of depression. Think maybe of, of self-pity, despair. Elijah is an example of that from the Bible. There was a season where he was living in a cave. He was absolutely filled with despair. He was even suicidal, saying, God, get me out of here. I don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm the only one who's following you. He was in despair. So disorientation, disengagement, disenchantment, and despair. The question is, how do we navigate seasons of waiting without letting these things take root? How do we do that? To help us answer that question, I want us to look today at two generations of the same family from the Bible, two different generations. And the first one is a couple, a husband and wife named Abram and Sarai. Now later God would change their names to Abraham and Sarah. Um, but at this point in the story, um, they, God had promised Abram that he, he would eventually have descendants that would outnumber the sand on the shore. They would outnumber the, the stars and the sky. There was only one problem. They were both really old and they had no children. But God promised it, and so they waited, and they waited, and they waited. They ended up waiting 25 years. Sarah and I had to wait like, what, 72 hours for her diagnosis. Abram and Sarah ended up waiting 25 years. But at one point, Sarah got tired of waiting, and she came up with this brilliant idea. That was sarcasm, as you'll see. In chapter 16 of Genesis, Sarai says to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. There's the disenchantment. Remember, that's kind of pointing your finger back, in God, back at God and saying, why are you doing this? God has prevented me from having children. And then she says, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. That's the disorientation. That's where you don't know what to do or where to go, so maybe you're just grasping at straws. Sarai's grasping at straws here. Go sleep with my servant. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. You're going to give me a hall pass to go sleep with her and have a baby? What? Okay, I'm kind of misrepresenting that a little bit. The truth is, this was actually a common custom in the day. But I just want to make a little side note, a little sidebar. This isn't what the message is about, but it's too important to skip over. I just, want to, I just want to point out that just because something is commonly accepted and practiced in the culture doesn't mean that it's right and doesn't mean that it's of God. Amen? I'm glad I got some amens from that. We should. Okay, so Abraham sleeps with the servant. Her name was Hagar. She gets pregnant, and then the story continues. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. Whoa, woman, this was your idea. Men, do not say that to your wives, okay? Amen. That got an amen. This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. There, we see despair all over that, and then we see disengagement too. Don't we remember that's kind of withdrawing from your loved ones? Well, there's definitely now this wedge between this husband and wife. There's a withdrawing, a disengagement that's happening here. 
And Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. So in this one conversation, or two conversations really, we see all four of our D words, disenchantment, disorientation, despair, and disengagement. And so Hagar runs away into the desert, and this angel, now follow me, this is interesting stuff. This angel appears to Hagar and and pronounces this prophecy over her and this baby who would be born. This baby's name would be Ishmael. Okay, and one of the things that this angel prophesies is that there will always be, he will always be an enemy with his brothers. This baby will always be an enemy with his brothers. There will always be hostility. Well, follow me on this. Ishmael would would become the father of the Arab race. And Abraham, and then his son Isaac, who was eventually born to him and Sarai, they were the fathers of the Jewish race. And today, what, three or 4,000 years later, they're in constant, a constant state of conflict. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't wait on God's timing, um, your family a thousand generations later are going to be suffering for it. That's not my point. My point is, when we refuse to wait on God and we take things into our own hands, we will always make a mess of things. I don't care how smart you are or how talented you are or how well you think you have things figured out. When we push God out of the picture and refuse to wait on Him, we always make a mess of things. Simply because God sees things that we don't, and he knows things that we don't, and he has a perspective that we don't have. So he always knows best, and when we take things into our own hands, we always make a mess. Abram and Sarai made a colossal, generational mess that the world is still feeling the consequences of because they chose to take matters into their own hands instead of waiting on God. Now, that's the bad news. Let's fast forward three generations. Let's talk about a man named Joseph. He was Abram and Sarai's great-grandson. We find this part of his story in Genesis 39. But here's what happened. Joseph's brothers, they hated him so much that they sold him into slavery and then told their dad that he got eaten by wild animals. And so Joseph ended up in the house of this Egyptian official named Potiphar, And things were going well. Joseph had a good life until Potiphar's wife wanted a hall pass with Joseph. And Joseph wasn't having any part of it, so then she accused him of some things he didn't do. So Potiphar had Joseph thrown into prison. Talk about a waiting season. At that point, Joseph didn't have anything to do but wait. Didn't have anything to do but ask questions. But look what it says about his time there. It says, The Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Say that with those yellow words with me. Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything that he did 
to succeed. Well, that's a whole different story, isn't it? That's a whole different story than Abram and Sarai. And here's the thing. These verses do not appear if Joseph takes mat- if he panics and takes matters into his own hands. These verses do not appear if Joseph just sits in his cell feeling sorry for himself. These verses, <coughs> excuse me, do not appear if Joseph turns his face toward God and blames him and says, "You're the reason for all this misery." Those verses don't appear. These verses appear because Joseph approached his waiting season in the complete opposite way than his great-grandparents approached theirs. He didn't panic. He didn't get mired in self-pity. He didn't take things into his own hands. He didn't blame God for all his, his misery. These verses appear because Joseph did not allow are four D words to take root in his mind and in his heart. Now, he was human, and I know, I know there had to be moments where those things were knocking on the door. There had to be moments where Joseph was was experiencing these things. But the, the difference is Joseph didn't let them take root. He didn't let these things take root in his mind and in his heart. He didn't let them in. In fact, you know what he did do? Joseph just kept serving the Lord. He just kept serving the Lord. That line that we just repeated in yellow, it just says he he took care of everything in the prison. He just kept serving the Lord. There's an old phrase First time I heard this, I was talking to a youth pastor years ago, just kind of about what, you know, how he saw his future. And he said, well, it's the first time I've ever heard this. He said, I've just always kind of felt like you should bloom where you're planted. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that phrase before. Feel free to chime in on the comments, those of you watching online. Bloom where you're planted. Kind of means no matter where you are, Or we might say, no matter what season you're in, just keep looking to be fruitful. Just keep keep working. Just keep serving the Lord. Whether you're in a, a little cracked pot that's breaking down or whether you're in the middle of a beautiful garden that has everything you could ever want, whatever season of life you're in, whatever location you're in, whatever your circumstances are, just keep looking to be fruitful for God. Just keep serving him. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, work willingly as long as you're not in a waiting season. No, wait, that's not, that's not right. Work willingly as long as everything's good and you can see ahead of you clearly. Work willingly at what? What does it say? Whatever you do. The implication there. Whatever season you're in, whatever you're doing, work willingly because you know what? You're really not working for people. You're working for God. You're working for the Lord. You're working to bring glory and honor to Him. See, you are not, your purpose in life is not just to earn a paycheck. And it's also not just to find personal happiness. God created you to bring glory and honor to Him. He created you and He loves you. And so whatever we're doing, whatever season we're in, just keep serving 
the Lord. No matter the season, work willingly because you're working for the Lord, not for people. By the way, if you're not familiar with Joseph's story, Joseph would go on, God, through a series of circumstances, God would lift him up out of that prison, out of that waiting season, and he ended up becoming second in command over the entire Egyptian empire and was reconciled with his family. But that happened because he was willing to wait on the Lord. And here's the thing. You know what waiting ultimately boils down to? Here's our big principle for today. Waiting ultimately is about trusting. Think about that for a minute. Waiting is really about trusting. Let's go back to the restaurant so I can make you all hungry because we're getting close to lunch. Let's go back to the restaurant. Let's say there's a 15-minute wait, okay? Man, that, maybe that'll make those of you happy who don't want to wait 20 minutes, all right? Let's say there's a 15-minute wait. They say, we'll have a table ready for you in about 15 minutes or so. And you go and you have a seat and you wait. Why do you wait? Because you trust that, what, that they're going to do what they said. You trust that when a table's ready, they're going to call you and seat you. If you didn't trust that they were going to do that, you wouldn't wait. In fact, you'd be dumb if you did. You wait because you trust. Are you, a lot of you have heard me use this example before. If my car breaks down on the road and I call Sarah and she says, wait there and I'll come get you, if I trust her, I'm going to wait. If I don't trust her, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to take off walking and try to figure it out myself. Or let's, how about a more serious example? When God said you get married and then you have sex, if I trust that he knew what he was doing when he designed that model, I'm going to wait. I wait because I trust. So no matter what we're talking about, no matter how big or serious or how small or insignificant, whatever situation, any situation I can think of where waiting is involved, so is trusting. So when we see verses like this in Scripture, and there are a lot of them, that say, wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. When we see verses like that, that's a trick that should trigger something in our minds and we should remember, okay, that verse is telling me I need to keep trusting God. Waiting on the Lord means trusting him. In fact, I would say that's the fundamental difference between Joseph's time of waiting that ended in blessing and Abram and Sarai's time of waiting that ended in chaos. Joseph was willing to trust God enough to wait on his timing, and his great-grandparents were not. Trusting, waiting, waiting always involves trusting. So, what do you do then? What do you do when you don't know what's going to happen next? What do you do when there's more questions than answers? What do you do when you don't know what else to do? What do you do when you have nothing to do but wonder and wait? Well, whether you're waiting on a diagnosis or waiting for a spouse or a baby or waiting to finish school and move on to the next chapter, whether you're just waiting for COVID to end, whatever you're waiting on, keep serving God. 
Keep trusting God. Keep praising God. Say that with me. Keep serving God. Keep trusting God. Keep praising God. One more time. Keep serving God. Keep trusting God. Keep praising God. Whatever you're waiting on. Just keep doing those things. Now, we didn't talk much about praising God. Felt like that was worthy of a whole other message in itself. In fact, I've preached an entire message on just praising God when you're waiting. But let me throw this one verse up there. Um, it says in 1 Thessalonians, thank God, say it with me, no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Other translations say this is God's will for those of you in Christ Jesus. I don't know if God's will for you is that you take this job or that job or move here or do this or do that, but I can tell you this verse right here tells you at least one thing that is always God's will for you, and that is to praise him no matter what, to praise him no matter what the season that you're in. While you wait, keep serving God, keep trusting God, keep praising God. Don't give up. I'll leave you with a quote from that same book I mentioned earlier, Reflecting God. This quote is gold. He says this. He says, and he, he calls the waiting, he calls it the in-between times, but he's talking about the same thing. We need the waiting seasons because some wisdom we can gain no place else. There are things that God wants to teach you. There are things that he wants to do in you and maybe through you in the life of someone else. There are things that God has for you in your season of waiting that you can't get anywhere else. And there are lessons for you to learn that you're not going to learn anywhere else. I've been, when this series started, I found myself praying, God, help me to find the joy in this season. You know, COVID just kind of puts a cloud over everything and, you know, other stuff just going on personally. And, and I just praying, God, help me to find the joy in this season. And then maybe a week or so ago, I realized maybe that's the wrong prayer to pray. Maybe what I need to be praying is, God, help me to see what it is you want to teach me in this season. Because you see, when, when, we allow, when we surrender to God and we allow him to teach us what he wants to teach us, even in those difficult seasons, what he's doing there is he's making us more Christ-like. And he's drawing us, as we surrender to him, He's drawing us deeper and closer into his presence. And you know what? That's where joy is found. See, joy is one of those things, I'm not sure you can find it by seeking it. You find it by drawing deeper into the presence of God. And the door to that is by surrendering to him and just saying, God, I give this season to you. Just teach me, show me whatever you want to do in me right now. quote actually goes on, and it says, I love this, that's why God, 
who is too good to be unkind and too wise to make a mistake permits and even requires the waiting seasons for us. Listen to me. If you are in a waiting season right now or if you're in a season of trial right now and life just stinks, listen, you are not in this season because God is being unkind to you or because he doesn't love you or because he's turned his back on you. No, not at all. God does love you. And he will never be unkind to you. And he will always have your best interests at heart. And if you're in this season right now, there is something that he wants to do in you. He's too good to be unkind and he's too wise to make a mistake. And so often he allows us, sometimes even leads us, into times of waiting because he knows there are lessons we will not learn any other place. There's growth that will not happen in any other place. Quote continues, it says, embrace the cloud of unknowing. Isn't that kind of what waiting is about? It's not knowing. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Waiting kind of involves not not knowing. And he says, embrace the cloud of unknowing rather than constantly struggling to escape it. I was thinking... Just earlier in this service, we were singing that song, uh, Do It Again. That song always takes me back to a waiting season when we transitioned here to Pittsburgh. And things didn't, dominoes didn't really fall into place smoothly. And for that summer, that summer was a period of waiting. And God used that song, Do It Again, to get me through that summer. But as I was thinking about that summer while we were singing that song earlier, it dawned on me, the seasons that I have tried the hardest to escape from, the the seasons that I have worked the hardest to try to get through and say, man, I wish this would end, as I look back, those are usually the seasons where I say, wow, look what God did. Look what God did in me. Look what God did in my family. Don't be too quick to push through the waiting season. Embrace it, recognizing that God has something for you there. And it will be for your benefit and for his glory. So embrace it. It says, for all the D-word dangers that come with the waiting season, it can be a fertile time of growth. Your season of waiting will not last forever. It won't. It won't. Your season of waiting will not last forever. Here's the thing. Somebody told me recently, they said, you know, there are some seasons that last for the rest of your life. This person had lost a spouse. And she said, I'm going to be a widow for the rest of my life. That's a season that will last the rest of my life. But she said, I'm learning that there are seasons within that season. And I would add, even though that season is going to last the rest of her life, this life is going to end someday. And for those who know Jesus, the only season we're going to have after that 
is a season where the Bible says there's no more crying, no more mourning. It will be a season of living for eternity in the presence of the Almighty God who created you and loves you and sent his son to die for you. So it is true. We can safely make the statement, there is absolutely no season you will have on this earth that's going to last forever. And God will not waste it. He will use it for your benefit. And he will use it for his glory if you'll keep trusting him. Keep seeking him. And he will give you the strength to get through it. While you wait, say it with me one more time. Keep serving God. Keep trusting God. Keep praising God. Father, we do give you praise today. We thank you for your mercy and grace that is at work in our lives. We give you praise today as the God who can be trusted in all seasons. And for the one who is in a difficult, excruciating waiting season right now, Father, I pray for strength and I pray for patience and I pray for wisdom. And I pray that you would open their eyes to whatever it is you want to do in them right now. Help them to see the value of this season. And Father, when we struggle to give you praise, remind us that you love us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again so that we could have salvation and forgiveness and freedom. God, if everything else falls apart, we will praise you for that. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name.